Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. This week, Zoe and I visited 10 Downing Street. Mm. Well, you know, I'm an old hand. It's the third time I've been. Um, but I did actually do, and Zoe can attest to this, I did the Hugh Grant dance on the, uh, the, you know, the, the staircase when you're coming down. The kind of, that kind of thing. I did a bit of that, didn't I? Yes, I did. And, um, but, you know, where all these famous prime ministers' portraits and signed photographs are all there, all the way up the stairway and, um, you know, looking kind of disapprovingly at my dancing. And then um, it was just this amazing opportunity to be there at this, the Prime Minister's Shrove Tuesday reception. A whole bunch of other uh, church leaders and, you know, archbishops and various people. And I was like, what am I doing here? What are we doing here? And then we remember the reason that we're there is to pray. That's why we're there. However we got on the invite list, God got us there so we could be there and that we could be praying in that place. A couple of weeks before that, we happened to be in the House of Lords, something different. What were we there for? We're there to pray. We're there to pray for God's kingdom to come in the kingdoms that we find ourselves in. To pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done right here. Let it be the same here as it is up there. Let up there come down here. That's what we pray. And uh, in these evenings... I'm talking every week about the kingdom. In fact, can we put the lights up? Is that all right? Just to, um, then you can see, and I can see if anybody's fallen asleep. Okay, not yet. Right. And I'm going to keep on kind of going on with this. I started out, I just thought I'd do a couple of weeks, but then basically the problem with looking at the kingdom of God, and there's so much in the Bible about the kingdom of God. It's like a main central theme of the whole Bible and something that Jesus talked about, probably more than anything else that he spoke about. He spoke about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. So I'm either going to keep on speaking on it until the kingdom comes or until my brain's done in and I've got nothing more to say about it and that might be a little while yet. So tonight, after that visit to 10 Downing Street, I thought we'd look at the idea of kingdom government. Kingdom government. And we've looked, if you've been with us in the last few weeks, this will be by way of a refresher. If you're not, just so you can kind of get up to speed with it. In the recent weeks, what we've looked at, we looked at about how, how God rules a kingdom called heaven, or the heavenlies, and people who believe in God have got no problem with the idea that God is in heaven and God rules over heaven. But then we talked about how he created this place called earth um, uh, to be like an outpost for his rule to come in a place. And there was this, we also talked one week about how there was like a rebellion in heaven. One of the archangels by the name of Lucifer, light bearer, got ideas above his station and he decided to become God's opponent, although he could never be his opposite because they were not equals, because he was created being and God is the creator. And There's this huge gap between them in terms of power, sovereignty and everything. He still wanted to, to thwart God's plans, to destroy, to steal, to kill. Just what he always wants to do. And to try and get on God's throne, if that were possible. So God then creates this place called earth as like an outpost of heaven. And uh, this invisible realm in which God inhabits now has a visible place for him to populate, for him to establish. 
And the way in which he decided to do it was to create some creatures, some people who would be made in his image. And that word in the Hebrew for image is not so much about physical likeness, it's about essential nature, that there's something about people that that is special, that God made, that's different than all of the other creation. One aspect of that is that God is a ruler. God rules, he's sovereign. And so he created this planet as a ruler and the people that he made, he made them to rule, to rule for him, to exercise power on his behalf. So they were given dominion, they were given authority, they were given power. They, and I say they, male and female, were given this power. They were made, the Bible says, a little lower than the angels. And they were both made to exercise that power. It wasn't just the man and then the woman kind of tagged along. If you read in Genesis 1, it talks about humanity being made to exercise its powers. This week is the International uh, Week of Women and uh, we, need to, we need to be, I think Christians need to be at the forefront of championing the cause of women's rights because it's right, because it's the way that God made it to be. Men and women were given the chance and the choice to represent him together, to exercise dominion. He said, let them exercise dominion over the earth he wanted to give them authority to use it for him and for his purposes for dominion ruling not domination if you can get the picture God wanted them to use their power to create a colony of heaven to steward this place called the earth for him and on it to extend his territory to extend his influence so that it'd be like you, like you get given a garden and you take over the weeds and you push them back and the, instead you put in flowers and you put in vegetables and you're creating a place of flourishing where before there was just chaos. That was what God wanted to establish on the earth. And he looked at what happened and then they were, they were being influenced. They ended up being influenced by the same creature who... Who, uh, who wanted to usurp his power in heaven, now wanted to do it on the earth. And so that he came and he tempts these people. In the same way that he fell, he wants them to fall. So the enemy comes along and he basically says, if you do what you want, if you do what you think, if you do what you feel, if you behave the way you want to, you'll be like God. fact was, they already were like God. They were made like God. They were made in his image. But they fell for it. They listened to the lies. They listened to the liar instead of the truth. And they ended up becoming not like God, but like him. Cursed, blaming, bitter on this spoilt world. And as they stepped off their thrones, their authority, their place of rulership, as they did that, they got off the throne. It's like he jumped on. The enemy jumps on the throne that they'd been given, the place of authority. Yeah, just come in, it's all right. This is what we've been looking at so far in these last few weeks, about this choice that they made and how that's basically ended up with now this, this, this clash of kingdoms that's always going on in the universe right now. And it's all on the podcast if you want to fill in on any of the gaps. But tonight I want to look at how the people who rejected God, once they rejected God, That didn't mean that they they didn't have any authority, didn't have any exercise of power. There's various ways in which power, authority, still gets used 
on the earth. And we're going to look at various forms of government, if you like. They rejected God as king, which would be what you call a theocracy. A theocracy means God is king. The system is God is in charge. They rejected that form of government and since then they tried all kinds of other forms of government, of leadership, and there's only so many options. And the options, as I've looked through the Bible, have all been tried in the Bible. And they're still with us now. So early on in Genesis, you see that after Adam and Eve and when people get kind of left on their own, their family and the generations that follow kind of disintegrate and go into chaos. until up until the time which is described as a flood, it, the whole world went into anarchy. Anarchy means rule by nobody. An, in Greek, Greek word, means without. And archos means leader. So anarchy basically means no leaders. And some people have set this up as being a utopian ideal. The idea of anarchy is that if people were leaderless, everything would just work out. If we didn't have any leaders telling us what to do, then we'd all just do the best. We'd all just do the good. Everybody would just get along. But that romantic view doesn't take into account the reality of the human condition and of something that the Bible calls sin. The book of Proverbs says in Proverbs 14 verse 12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. And anarchy actually was better described in terms of how it works out practically, in my opinion, when I was a teenager in the 1970s by a group called the Sex Pistols. And they came out with a song called Anarchy for the UK which I know Jane Edwards will probably know, because she used to be a punk, I believe. <laughs> I am an anarchist. I am an antichrist. Don't know what I want, but I know how to get it. I want to get drunk. Or words to that effect. Destroy. That's what anarchy is about. It's a state of destruction, of disorder. No law, no government, no rules. Authority is to be despised and rejected and overthrown. Do what you want to get what you want. Let chaos rule. That's anarchy. And you see anarchy. It keeps coming up again and again in the Bible in the time of the judges. When Israel once again rejects God time and time again, you get this downward spiral. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Why? Because it says in Judges 17 verse 6 and a couple of times in the book, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Everybody just decides to do what I want to do. Don't give me any rules. Especially, don't talk to me about God. And it could be argued that the way that society has gone in the West involves a similar pattern, whereby we've rejected the idea of absolute truth. Absolutely. People are really sure that there are no absolutes. Apart from the need to replace any controlling idea that there might be a God who wants to rule over us, that he might speak in any way that is unchanging. Instead, we've exchanged that for a relativistic sense of every man for himself. If I can still say man for himself. If that's not politically incorrect. I read that doctors are being told by the BMA not to call any of the 775,000 women having babies in the UK this year mothers anymore. Why? Because one transgender person is pregnant. And so somebody might get offended by that. Not that that person is offended, but somebody might be. 
And that was the advice that was therefore given by the BMA. And to be honest with you, I'm offended by that nonsense. Because only females can have children. That's fact. That's science. That's not opinion. So I'm offended at what to me is anti-women advice by the BMA. But when we turn our back on God and we do what is right in our own eyes, we end up tolerating everything except what I now think is intolerant because you're being intolerant of me. Whatever I choose to be offended by, you must be, not be intolerant of. Don't know what I want, but I know how to get it. That's anarchy. Another form of government is oligarchy. This isn't where you get to be in charge of your name's Ollie, much as he might like it. Oligarchy is where a small elite rule over everybody. The Greek here means few lead. And over the years, maybe that's been a particular family or a particular line, a particular class of people. It's hard to believe that there's not, to some extent, this happening in the world right now, especially when you read the latest Oxfam report from January. It showed that the 62 richest billionaires that we know about, the ones we know about, I'm sure there's more than that, own as much as the poorest half of the world's population. 62 people own as much as half the world combined. And that between 2010 and 2015, the poor, that poor, got 41% poorer, while the rich, those rich, added £350 billion to their portfolios. We're all in this together, apparently, this recession. President Jimmy Carter, former President Jimmy Carter, actually said the world is becoming a plutocracy. Which doesn't mean Pluto is in charge from Disney. It means the world is ruled by the wealthy. Go online, search some conspiracy websites and before long you'll believe that there really are groups running the world behind the scenes. Or actually read 1984, George Orwell, The Inner Party. And how you can find out that you're perhaps being ruled for your own good by people who are only out for their own good. This ties in closely with the next one, which is monarchy. Israel at various times had different kings, good and bad, throughout its history. The first one was anointed by a prophet by the name of Samuel. And Samuel was the last of the judges, but he warned the people who got fed up of doing whatever uh, seemed right in their own eyes of what a king would do. If they, he said, okay, if you really want a king, if you want to reject God that badly, that now you've got to have a human king, like all the other nations, I'll let you do that, but you've got to know what kings do. This is what he said would happen if they got a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen. He will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and fifties, and some to plough his ground and some to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He'll take the best of your fields and the vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. He'll take a tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and their servants. He'll take your male and female servants and the best of your young men 
and he'll put them to his work. He'll take a tenth of your flocks and you will be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of the king whom you've chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. He's basically saying, look out if you think that any human monarch is perfect. But they didn't listen to him. They rejected his advice. They said to Samuel, no thanks, we want a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And God said to him, they haven't rejected you, Samuel, but they rejected me as king when they did that. And I imagine in the room tonight, there might be some people who are big fans of the royal family and some of the people who may be anti-royalists and that's something we can disagree agreeably about. But personally speaking, I love the Queen. I'm big on the Queen. And especially I love the way that she seeks to honour God and how she speaks of Jesus Christ. I was talking about this to about somebody last week and they said, yeah, but is she really a Christian? Is she a real Christian? So I had a look at some of the things that she said in recent years and you make up your own minds. Here's a selection of quotes from the speech. The speech she gets to write herself on Christmas Day from recent years. For me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration an anchor in my life. He's a role model of reconciliation and forgiveness. He stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a saviour with the power to forgive. Forgiveness lies at the heart of the Christian faith and it can heal broken families, restore friendships and reconcile divided communities. It's in forgiveness that we feel the power of God's love. For me as a Christian, one of the most important of these teachings is contained in the parable of the Good Samaritan. When Jesus answers the question, who is my neighbour? A timeless story of a victim of a mugging, ignored by his own countrymen but helped by a foreigner. The implication drawn by Jesus is clear. Everybody is our neighbour. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to give of my best in all that the day brings and to put my trust in God. And like others of you who draw inspiration from your own faith, I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability provide the framework in which I try to lead my life. I'd probably baptise her. By the time of Jesus, Israel had a real mix of governments all ruling together for the people. And there were a few kings over the various jurisdictions, but only one had, well, they all had limited power, but there was one who ruled over all of them, and that was Caesar who ruled from Rome. And this um, was at times a kind of oligarchy, but actually it was an absolute autocracy, which is ruled by one, one person. And for the ordinary people, there was another form of government locally that demanded in God's name that they go to the temple and they pay their taxes on time to the, and they, they brought their sacrifices. Their hands had to be washed in certain ceremonial ways. Everything had to happen just right according to the, what you could call the ecclesiocracy, which was the rule of the church, the government, the religious system of the Pharisees and Sadducees. All these different kinds of of, uh, of, of rule, if you like, were there in the Bible, and many of them are still with us today in the world. Now, of course, the nearest form of government in the Western world that we uphold and most of us would honour would be democracy. Demos means people. So, democracy means the people rule, and the way in which we usually get that done is by representation, choosing representatives who are meant to act on, be on behalf of the good of everybody, which again is fine as an ideal. 
But what if, you know, it's ruled by majority? What if the majority is wrong? What if the majority just wants to vote according to their own self-interest and greed? What if those who represent them become power-hungry and are more about climbing a greasy pole for their own success than for serving those that they voted, who voted them in power? This is why we have to pray. This is why whoever's in charge, we have to pray for those in authority that the kingdom of God would come and his will would be done. And while we're looking at words we use and the Greek words behind them, we should look at the difference between two words called ethics and morals. Some of you are feeling like you're in a GCSE class or something at the minute, but I'm kind of going through this. I think it's important for us to grab hold of it. See, the earliest idea of the word ethos is linked to the, the stall, the idea of a stall that you would put a horse in. People use these two, two words inter, interchangeably. They're not interchangeable. They're not the same thing. If people talk about ethics and morals, it's not the same thing. We need to understand that. See, ethos, if you can imagine, it was where you would put a particular horse. You'd go into the stables and it was like, well, Dobbin goes in that one and Red Rum goes in that one and Shergar, I don't know where he's gone. And you go through all these different kind of stables to put the right horse in the right place. And when they're in their stable, they are permanent. That's their place. That's where they should be. Certain things should be in certain places. Certain things should not be in certain places. This is what ethics is about because it's stable, because it all fits together. This is to do with the idea of character and values and they're unchangeable. This is the idea. Ethics are about what you ought to do. They're about what you ought to do or you ought not to do. But the word morals or morality comes from the word mores, societal mores. And that's about what people choose to do. So you can have this idea like a Mori poll. You've heard of that? It's a company, Mori poll. Well, what do you do? You, you, you take a survey. You find out what people are doing. This, mores describe what a culture does. The customs, the habits, the normal ways that people choose at a particular time in a particular place to do life. So, if you want to choose, you look at what people are doing, you count heads. And then you could say, oh look, more people are doing this than they used to. And maybe from that you go, and so now more and more people are doing it, it must be right. Because more and more people do it and majority rules. So, for example, we do a survey and we do a study and we find out that a majority of teenagers more and more teenagers start to take particular drugs, recreational drugs. So we say, well, this is just what people do. This is what young people do. This is normal for young people. So if it's normal, maybe it's good. Maybe it's right. Maybe everybody should do that. I often talk about this. Have you ever get to speak in schools, talk to young people about relationships? I tell them, believe it or not, it really wasn't that long ago when I was at school. And there was this idea then when I was at school that if you were a girl and you were a virgin, that was a good thing. It was actually held in high regard. Somebody who had sex with lots of people would get a name and it wouldn't be a good one. Boy or girl. But how fast does the world change? When sex... When, when the restraints are off and when nothing's right and nothing's wrong, nothing's stable anymore. And the norm today is that more and more people live together and have sex before marriage or outside of marriage with multiple partners. That's the new normal. In fact, 
to do so is seen as being part of just being a human being authentically human you're you have the right to express yourself sexually like that it shows you're not repressed in some way so it's right and what then follows is that anybody who doesn't live like that somebody for example who would be weird enough to choose to stay single to be celibate to not define themselves in terms of their sexuality at all that's not normal which would mean Jesus, as a 33-year-old single man, was somehow incomplete. Rather than the perfect example of fulfilled humanity, who came to show us how to live life in all of its fullness. And people who don't have sex before marriage these days are considered odd. The odd ones out. Let's set this up according to logic. It's good to study logic helps you to work stuff out in the world premise a the normal is determined by statistics premise b the normal is human and good conclusion the abnormal is inhuman and bad it's nonsense that's logical nonsense it's what you would call a logically absurd position to take but that doesn't stop people here's another example imagine putting this into these premises imagine we took a survey that says do you, do people tell lies do you tell lies and everybody has to be honest and and, and look at that uh, survey and the fact is everybody has broken that commandment they've shaded the truth to a greater or lesser degree at some time or another so the statistics show 100 percent of people have lied so it's perfectly normal for human beings to lie so, if you want to be fully human, we should all lie more. And anybody who tells the truth and insists on it is not to be trusted. See, the logic of that doesn't work. And in fact, the Bible says something different. The Bible says lying is wrong. Colossians 3 verse 9 says, Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices. So even if you used to lie, now you're a Christian, don't. You can live a different way because you've got Christ inside of you. Because now you're a citizen of a new kingdom. You've got a different king. You can live according to a different standard. Even if everybody else says it's right, or everybody else, if everybody else says it's right and God says it's wrong, they're wrong. Does anybody agree with this? It's hard to say it. But we're going to find these clashes in the kingdom. We're going to find that there's going to be times when everybody else, what everybody else says, what everybody else is doing is going one way and you're a citizen of the king and you're going to be going the other way. So ethics or ethos deals with what something ought to do. Morality deals with what people just are doing and it changes like fashions all the time. You look at swimsuits throughout the years, how they've changed and what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. That's an example you see, there's a difference between something that's unchanging and something that's just the way we are now. And if you're a Christ follower, like I said, there are going to be times you're going to come and find a tension, even a clash between those two. If you start to say, well, I'm sorry, but I've looked at what my king says. I want to live according to the way that my king, Jesus, says. I'm not going to live the same as I used to anymore. You're going to have a clash of kingdoms that takes place. When you have got an unchanging force meeting what seems to be an irresistible object something's going to have to give way 
Because if God is my king, I don't get so much anymore to decide what's right and wrong. I get to discover it. And then having discovered it, I decide whether I'm going to do it or not. Whatever anybody else says. I discover what his word says I ought to do or ought not to do and then I don't adjust his word. I adjust myself to his word because he's the king. And I encourage you to listen to the morning's talk that I gave at Kingsway if you get a chance in the week. So we don't end up as a result of this being all nasty and judgy. But God says, because that'll give a bit of balance to this, but I've kind of had to go that way this morning and this way this morning. But at some point there's, there's, there is right and wrong. And God defines that. There is righteousness and unrighteousness. There is evil and there is virtue. And it's not always easy, but the wise way that we choose which is which is called Christian ethics. And you might say, well, okay, so is there somewhere I can go then where I'll just fit in as a Christian and it will be easy for me to just live like that as a Christian? And the answer is, yes, the grave. When you get to heaven, there'll be no problems. But between now and then, the kingdom culture will always clash with something everywhere on the earth. Whichever system is in place, whoever is leading it, however it's running, whatever system is running, and you can look around the world now, and I went through all those different kinds of systems, and some places now on the world you could go to, you're going to find it in total anarchy. Other places you're going to find it's run by a monarchy. Other places will be oligarchies. Other places will be democracies. Some will be ecclesiologies. If you've got a Saudi Arabia, in many ways it's run by religious facets. But no kingdom, no human government is yet completely subject to the king of kings. So we're always going to feel this tension as Christians to a greater or lesser degree. See, right now in all those countries, wherever they're being ruled, wherever they're being ruled from, in whatever the system is set up, even though in many of those places, to say I'm going to be a subject of the King of Kings of Jesus Christ will mean that I'm going to be brutalised, ostracised, persecuted. People say, I'm going to follow Jesus. Whatever happens, Jesus, I want you to be my king. And wherever they live, when you do that, you enter the kingdom of God. Wherever you live, whoever's in charge of that country, you get a different king. It really is like emigrating to a new country, but you don't have to move. The Bible says, Christians, this is how we see ourselves, we are now aliens and strangers. Because this world is not our home. That's why at times you're going to feel like a duck out of water. In case you've felt like that at all. It's because you are. Hebrews says, we're longing for a better country, a heavenly 
home. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called our God, for he has prepared a city for us. So I've said that these evenings, and the reason that I'm doing them, I'm kind of seeing them as being like citizenship classes. For how we live as citizens of another kingdom in the middle of the kingdoms of this world. How we can live as ambassadors for Christ. And if we're citizens of another kingdom, we don't determine what's wrong or right based on what everybody else is doing in a fallen, corrupted system that is disintegrating, crumbling and fading away. Instead, we make our decisions based upon what is enduring, what is permanent, what is lasting, what is stable. What God says, who God is. And that happens when we, when we live and when we pray the Jesus prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in four areas. And in a minute, we're going to split you up and we're going to invite you to go into different parts of the room and to, to pray in one of these four areas. Don't worry about it. If you're not somebody you normally would be praying out loud, when you get into a group and move about, all you've got to do is just go, hmm, like that. Everybody will think you're praying, it'll be fine. You, you don't have to worry about it. So that's, that's your kind of get out. You can just sit there and go, ah, hmm, ah, occasionally amen, that works. Okay, if you do that, no problem. But we're going to split into four groups. There'll always be somebody in the groups who'll pray out loud, so don't worry about it. I'm going to ask you to pick one, though, based upon where you feel you really want to pray for God's kingdom to come in these four different areas. First one is self, self-governance. This is where it all starts. This is about God coming and taking more control and rule over me in here. The fruit of that looks like self-control, but actually the Bible says the fruit, the fruit is, is growing because of the Holy Spirit inside of me. It's spirit control. Because you invite him and you say, I want to cooperate with you. And if there's any area in my life where you need to come and let your kingdom come and your will be done where it's not been. I'm inviting you to come in and to, and to help me with those attitudes, with those addictions, with those ambitions, with those actions, whatever they are. I want you to come, Jesus, and, and even though it's hard, I want you to change me so that I'm cooperating more with what you say and I'm, I'm living like you really are the king. Is there anywhere in here where you're not king, where you're not really ruling? And if that's you, and then I'm going to invite you when we go into the groups, you're going to be down the front here and the band are going to be coming up and they'll just be playing quietly. Just do business with God. And say, I want you to rule in every single part here. Because if, 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 you, if, you're not, if that's not happening, there's not much point in you praying for it to happen out there in any of the other places. I have responsibility. I've got to take responsibility to do that, to turn my heart over to God and say, Jesus, I want you to reign. I don't want sin to reign in my, in my body. I want, I want to be, be alive to God. Reign over me. It has to start in here. And then the next circle, if you like, going out from that, is, your, is in terms of relationships, family, whatever that looks like to you right now. You know, anybody feel perhaps that you're... you're under attack in the area of your relationships, of your family. And we're going to kind of get the, the family group, we'll sort of go around that, that area, around there. In fact, uh, Ollie's in charge of the family group, so he'll be standing over there, you know where he is. The oligarchy will be over there. <laughs> because the family is always going to be under attack. 
because it's the principal way, one of the principal ways that God wants his kingdom to come and to be established on the earth. So the Bible has laid out principles, not just suggestions for how husbands are to be husbands and how wives are to be wives, for how parents are to parent, for how children are to behave and for how we're to look after our parents. Last week I talked about training for reigning. It starts at home and when I say that everybody feels guilty because everybody's family's messed up and we all make mistakes. The way the Bible describes it though, we need to sort this out, get it working at home before we're going to try and export it somewhere else. So this group are going to pray for the families of our nation and if, you've, and, if you've got, and if you're from another nation, feel free to pray for that nation. If you've got things that you need God's help in with regard to relationships too, decisions and wisdom that you need to make, make sure you go into that group over there. And it kind of spreads out from the family to the next one, which is the church. The book of Ephesians says that God has appointed certain leaders over the church. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, in the message version, it says he handed out gifts of apostle, prophet, evangelist and pastor teacher to train Christ's followers in skilled servant work, working in Christ's body, the church, until we're all mature, fully alive like Christ. That's why I say my job is not to be the minister of the church. I'm here to equip the saints for the work of ministry. My title, if I have to have one at all, well, I want it to be equipper. I want to, to, to equip you to be able to find your place and fulfil your purpose. I was in a prayer meeting on Friday with some other leaders of some churches and a, couple, and a couple of times one of the guys said this word, it really resonated with me when he said it, he said it twice and it was just not to do with anything but he used the word abdicate and I was, oh, and I felt God say, listen. A bit later on he said, he said the same word, abdicate and I, and I was praying about it afterwards I said, what was that about? And I felt like God was saying, my people are abdicating what does abdicating mean? The most famous example of it, of course, would have been Edward VIII when he stepped down, took off his crown, if you like, and, and gave away his throne. But I felt like the Lord was saying to me, that's what my people are doing, because the kingdom of God is the only kingdom where every citizen is a king. C.S. Lewis got this more than anybody else, I think. You read the Chronicles of Narnia. When they go through the wardrobe, when they step into that kingdom, the sons and daughters of Adam become royalty, don't they? When they go into Narnia. It's the same for us. When you're a citizen of that king, you become a king. Yourself. You become a queen. You become royalty. Listen, there's nothing that will contribute more to your spiritual life than this revelation. You are who God says you are. You can do what he says you can do. My grandson agrees. You are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do. I want you to say it with me. I am. Do it. You can make it work out yourself. Go for it. All together or not at all. <laughs> He says in Exodus 19, you are a kingdom of priests. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says the same thing the other way around. A royal priesthood. I'm going to talk about this so much more in the future. I'm just praying for a bit more revelation about it. But I just love that idea. 
And I'm not sure that Christianity, the way in which we presented the gospel, has gone anywhere near helping us to understand the magnitude of what that means and how when you become a Christian, it isn't just that you get your sins forgiven and you get an, a new start and you get a free pass to heaven, all that kind of thing, which is all kind of good stuff and it gets, gets spoken about. But it's like missing out on so much because there's way more than that. How's this for a summary of the gospel? And if, Romans 5.17, and how often do you hear this as a summary of the gospel? Because this goes so much further, so much deeper, so much wider, so much bigger than we usually go when we talk about the gospel and it's just about how to get your sins forgiven so God's got to let you into heaven. Romans 5.17 says this, For if by one man's sin, that's Adam, death reigned, that's the sin part, how much more will they who receive abundance of grace, that's you if you ask for it, that's the salvation part, but it's way, way more than just that. Just sins forgiven. What else? And of the gift of righteousness shall what? Shall? Where? In life. Reign in life by or through the one. Jesus Christ. Do you reign in life? Or does life reign over you? You're meant to reign in life. Through the one, Christ, one man, Christ Jesus. Through what he's accomplished for you. He's done enough for you to reign in life. Whatever circumstances, whatever life throws you away, it doesn't mean it's always going to be easy. You can reign. You can walk like royalty in this world. You can go anywhere with your head held high. Reign in life through Christ Jesus. See, everybody else is ruled by life. You don't have to be. If you get ruled by Jesus, if you invite his rule in you, he'll reign through you in every circumstance in your life. It's all training for reigning. So what do you need to do? You need to receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness that's there in Christ Jesus. And if you haven't done that, make sure you're down the front to be able to say, I need that. I need that abundance of grace. I need even more of your grace. I need to receive that gift of righteousness. And I want to reign in life. I want Jesus to reign in every area, every part of me, so that then I can reign in life. So the church prayers are going to be over in this corner with Tim. And they are going to be praying for power for the, for the church in this nation to rise up in power and to preach the full gospel of Jesus Christ that is about the, the cross and about us getting our sins forgiven and all that. But it's also about us rising up in power and being the people when the world's looking for answers, they come to the church to say, how come you reign in life? How come you're different? What is this power that you've got inside of you? Who is this power that you've got inside of you? What makes you so different? We should, we should live lives that raise that kind of question in our work colleagues and the people on our street. They should say, you're going through the same kind of things as I'm going through, differently. What's, what's the reason for that? I reign in life through him, through Christ Jesus. Final group, which will be kind of... Uh, around that lovely play area where we've got some orange and yellow things in the back. Lawmakers and government. And you see, as Christians, we now live, and I'm wrapping up with this, we live between two kingdoms. One is visible, one is invisible. And the invisible one is more real than the visible. But we forget that, and we don't live like that. Our five senses are in touch with the visible. 
But we connect with the lasting, with the permanent kingdom through our spirit as we pray. That's why the most powerful thing you can do is pray because you're bringing the power of the invisible kingdom into the visible. And through Jesus Christ, you've been given, we've been given the keys of the kingdom. And we must not abdicate from our position as a kingdom of priests, but we should exercise our authority when we pray. So when we pray, let's pray. Let's declare, let's announce the power and the breakthrough of our God. We don't have to do this for long, but when we pray, you know, if you know how to pray, pray. If you don't know how to pray, pray. Pray from inside here. Pray in your spirit. And something's happening when that. It's the most powerful. It's like a nuclear reactor. It's an incredible thing that's happening when God's people pray. And you might think, well, I don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2 will help in the message. It will help us to not abdicate. See, I, wasn't, I decided when I was, in, when I was praying in, um, in 10 Downing Street, I'm not abdicating here. And it's great to have all these dignitaries and bishops and all these kind of things, but I'm a representative of the King of Kings. I can reign in life through Christ Jesus. I'm not going in like, ooh, isn't it nice to be here? Thank you very much for noticing me. I know who I walked in with and who goes with me wherever I go. And that's not because I'm great, it's because he's so great that he'd love me like that. And it'd allow me to represent him is unbelievable. But that's why I would pray for the Prime Minister and for those who exercise authority. And when, you might think, oh, shall we put the last verse on? Um, is it on there, 2 Timothy? Yeah. First thing I want you to do, it says, is pray. Pray every way you know how, for everyone you know. Pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well so we can be quietly about our business. This is the way our Saviour God wants us to live. He wants not only us, but everyone to be saved. For everyone to get to know the truth. And when he was saying, Paul's writing to Timothy to pray for the leaders, you know who the leader was? Nero. Who at the time is persecuting Christians. He says, make sure you pray for him. So, you know, we've got no excuse. Even if we lived in America. <laughs> we want to pray. Pray for those in authority. Whoever. And this tells us what to pray and how to pray. So, as God's been speaking to you, I hope while I've been talking, I want to encourage you to, to stand up if you're able to stand and then to, to indicate by moving which one you're going to go to. So, um, who's going to be in the charge of the government group? Matt Round will be in charge of the government group, which is the, the pink and yellow um, area through there. The band are going to come up and just play quietly. Over here, down the front, is the doing business with God for my, me, self-governance. Over there is family. At the back is government. Over with Tim is church. So please move. Don't anybody just stay where you are. We need to move. We're going to get some movement happening. We're not going to do this for long, but we're going to be, we want it to be powerful. God wants to hear your prayers. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.